Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geeks podcast. I'm Flight Corporal Jack Anderson. I'm here with Flight Corporal Nadim Elgazar. Hello, everyone. And Flight Corporal Aiden Paul. How's it going? And as always, we are going to be your hosts. For this week's episode, we have a very special guest here to talk to us about helicopters. He is a helicopter pilot in the RCAF. We'd like to welcome Captain Paul Evans to the show today. Is a helicopter pilot in the RCAF with number 400 Tactical Squadron, and he currently flies the CH-146 Griffin. Um, so thank you for being on the show today, sir. Um, My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Thanks, welcome. Um, so we have a list here of questions. First of all, what are the different pathways to become a pilot in the RCAF, and which one did you choose? Well, that's a good question to start with. Uh, the path I chose was just to go down to the recruiting center and uh, uh, start the process that way. It's the uh, simplest way. And uh, they were able to explain all the options. Uh, right now, um, to be a pilot in the Air Force, you do need to have a degree. So what you need to be looking at for schooling is to, after high school, look at something either an aviation college or a university degree and um, uh, to uh, achieve that officer part of your uh, enrollment. Um, now for universities, uh, you can either choose one that you, uh, you would like to uh, attend and join uh, that way, I believe, or you could uh, attempt to go to RMC or uh, St. Jean with uh, CMR and uh, join the military way. And uh, that's a rewarding type of uh, university degree as well. Plus you won't incur the expense of, uh, of your uh, university training. And either way, um, you're gonna end up with a university degree and then the military sort of integrates into your training and takes over from there for your pilot training. Great. All right. Uh, question two. It, what does it take to become a pilot in the RCAF? So what I mean is for necessarily grades and physical fitness, how, what, what are the standards? Uh, well, it's obviously it's been a while since I went through the recruiting uh, process. I've got 30 years uh, under my belt now, but the, uh, like I was saying, first of all, you need that university education and, uh, whether you are going to go to RMC in Kingston or do your own university uh, and join it that way, you still need the grades to get into university. And uh, physical fitness-wise, um, we're, uh, we're tested annually in the military, and it's all, all standardized. Everybody does the same tests, and they're not... They're not terribly difficult, but they do require, uh, you know, a, a moderate amount of uh, physical ability. Um, if you are interested in um, your own kind of sports and uh, and physical fitness that way, it'll be easy to achieve the uh, physical fitness standards. And really, uh, you need to just concern yourselves with, uh, you know, the good grades and uh, good attitude, and uh, certainly. A uh, great start to that is being in the Air Cadets and, uh, you know, also participating in sports teams and things like that. 
I, I let me add though, it, being a pilot isn't just about grades and physical ability. There is some uh, there is some ability that's required there, and uh, certainly one of the hardest things I've ever done was going through the training for pilot. Um, you're you're uh, you're required to achieve a level of uh, uh, success that is far greater than you've ever experienced on a schedule that is accelerated. So not everybody makes it. And we, uh, we have a, a bit of a saying, and I don't know how true it is, but it's, we have a less success rate of being a pilot than there is of being a brain surgeon because our uh, standards are so high and people are, uh, the attrition out of the program is so great. So uh, it's not just about that. You, you're going to want to have some abilities there, but uh, uh, put it all together. And I think that's why uh, you'll find RCAF pilots are some of the best in the world. Um, so for the next question here, what different roles do the helicopters perform in the RCAF? Well, that's a great question, Jack. Uh, uh, helicopters are very utilitarian. Of course, uh, they're much different than uh, fighter planes, which are important to go fast uh, and be the uh, gunfighter of the country in the air. And transport planes, which are big, heavy, and slow, much like uh, civilian airliners, and they're just there to move things. The helicopter's job is more, I think, like a pickup truck. We are uh, we can take specialized loads and move them into obviously special and unique uh, places because of our ability to hover. Uh, flying is a lot, uh, flying a helicopter is a lot like flying an airplane, a uh, regular airplane at altitude, but it's, it's in the hover, it's the landing and taking off, which obviously makes it different. Uh, some, of the, some of the different roles uh, our helicopters do in the military, of course, a uh, big one is search and rescue and they're uh, uh, Cormorant and the, and the Griffin CH-146 are both uh, tasked with national SAR mandate. Um, we have uh, the cyclone on the coast that uh, works with the ships that does uh, that do anti-submarine warfare and patrol and uh, certainly a lot of fun and uh, out there uh, around the world. And then there's uh, our own Griffins that I fly uh, we've done everything from, from the SAR, like I mentioned, to uh, mostly taskings with the Army and uh, assisting uh, the Army with moving troops to the battlefield, into the battlefield. And uh, uh, recently uh, with Afghanistan, we've re-rolled a lot of our Griffins to being escorts, gunships with the, uh, with the uh, larger helicopters that we're using uh, to move the troops are more nimble, smaller Griffins are able to uh, circle around and secure LZs for the, uh, uh, the uh, other helicopter, twin rotors going in there and uh, moving troops in and out. So, uh, so that's been an interesting uh, type of role. And that's fairly interesting. Um, another question we got here. What are the main differences between being a pilot in the reserves versus active duty? Um, 
honestly, uh, there can be no difference. Uh, I was a regular force pilot for 25 years and I switched uh, over to a reserve pilot, but I'm full-time reserve and my schedule literally didn't change one bit, uh, except now I'm not going to be posted around the country uh, or overseas as they, uh, you would in the regular force. So your schedule can be the same, but the other benefit of being a reservist, there's different types. Uh, I'm full-time, there's also a part-time reservist or a variation of the two where you're part-time or full-time. And uh, part-time reservist, you, uh, you're only gonna work 12 to 14 days a month uh, at the job and you would do a different job or maybe enjoy a partial retirement uh, those other days. So that's, that's the main difference there. That's, I didn't know that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, what are the shifts like as a pilot? Are they difficult or like what, how does, how do they work? Like how many days a week are you on? How many off? Uh, good question there. Um, uh, you know, how often uh, you're working as much like, uh, well, it applies to everybody, right? If you're a doctor or if you're a policeman or a fireman or a, um, a bell line technician, you're worried about how long you're going to work and how often you're going to work. And uh, being in the military, of course, we're, uh, we're uh, uh, a necessary service when, uh, especially when we're called upon to do really important uh, things like ice storm from uh, 1998, uh, Central Ontario and Eastern Quebec uh, uh, were ravaged by a, a shutdown of uh, electrical infrastructure. The military was called out and it was uh, one of those things where you get a call in the uh, middle of the day and say, be prepared to go uh, tomorrow morning. And we left our homes and were deployed for, uh, you know, 45 days uh, straight. And uh, there's not really a lot of time off in that case. You're expected to work every day. Um, you'll, you'll get a day of rest, but there's nothing really to do either. When we went to ice storm, I was deployed to a hangar in Ottawa with, uh, with our whole squadron. And uh, there was nothing to do when you weren't working, you might as well be working. Um, but normally uh, your job day to day, is just like anybody else's uh, uh, nine to five, eight to four. And uh, sometimes uh, last month I had to work 14 days in a row uh, but that's uh, fine. And, and you'll still be compensated for some time off when you're done. Uh, important thing is if you are uh, deployed though, uh, like I mentioned, Afghanistan or Iraq, Bosnia, uh, things like that, you're leaving your home for six to eight months at a time. Uh, you're going to, you're going to go, it takes a long time to get you into theater and you're going to stay there uh, working, uh, but away from home for six to eight months. Uh, and then you'll come home and be with your family and you probably won't go anywhere for another year, year and a half, but uh, you could be away for a while. And that's, uh, that's all everybody in the military is, uh, uh, could anticipate that, not just pilots, of course. Um, so next, what sorts of things do pilots do on a daily basis? Because we know they're not just flying 100% of the time. So what are you usually doing the other part of the time? Well, one of the uh, one of the things we pride ourselves on in the military, in the Air Force, is our uh, 
high level of experience, expertise, and that comes from excellent training. So when we're not working and doing the things that, that are required, we train for those things. And we're, we're training a lot uh, in our spare time when we're not actually uh, deployed. So when you're in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, boots on the ground there, you're doing missions every day. It's the previous months and years working up to that where you've done all that training, you've done multi-ship uh, inserts and extracts, uh, you've done your uh, multi-ship uh, uh, gun training so you know how to work as a team, uh, suppressing uh, things on the ground or, or whatever, the security screens and things like this. Um, we don't do that at my squadron, at 400 Tactical Helicopter Squadron. We're uh, more of a maintenance squadron now, and we move helicopters across country. So our training uh, to keep, uh, I was just training yesterday, in fact. Uh, it was a bit of a snowy day around here, though. So we, uh, we're doing a little bit of confined area training, a little bit of slope, a little bit of uh, um, weather training, actually. And, uh, and we were trying to do instrument training. And we got turned around outside the Kitchener because the weather was so bad. Um, and that, that's what you've got to do so that when the going gets tough, you still got the, uh, you still got the ability to, to get it done. Um, another question here we got. Um, what was your favorite mission, if you can tell us? <laughs> uh there you know what there's actually been quite a few of them and uh, uh one of the things uh, the reasons i joined the military uh, was to help my country help my uh fellow canadian and uh, i got a lot of satisfaction out of um getting called out for the ice storm tasking uh, back uh, in the late 90s um, we were deployed like i said to ottawa airport into an old hangar there and uh, we got up every day to go out and uh, assist other agencies and the military with uh, finding the people in need in Ontario and Quebec and uh, rendering the assistance that we could. And maybe that was just reconnaissance. Maybe that was uh, moving uh, people. Sometimes I had the uh, uh, hydro people on board so that they could assess the damage and what was needed to get them to get Canada back on track. But uh, another uh, humanitarian effort that was uh, very rewarding was uh, Hurricane Mitch. Again, in the late 90s, uh, terrible hurricane ravaged South uh, or Central America. Uh, Canada's response was to send down the DART team, the uh, immediate reaction uh, medical teams. And we went down with helicopters to support them. And uh, we set up at La Siva Airport, uh, again, in the end of a hangar. Uh, at the end of the runway and we assisted DART uh, by bringing doctors to communities in the country that hadn't seen any visitors for a couple or three weeks because of this the hurricane was so bad it washed out roads and it shut down their infrastructure and nobody could drive and they don't have the aviation resources so we our little part of the uh, AOR our area of responsibility was uh, the La Siva and uh, uh, Atlantic coast, Caribbean coast area, we, we uh, effectively uh, moved, first of all, medical people around, and then we started moving fresh water supplies and uh, food um, 
I, uh, I visited one village at the top of this mountain that uh, certainly hadn't seen anybody up there for a long, long time. And we only had rice and some other food supplies with us. And the village was so happy to see us. And uh, they lined up and offloaded our helicopter in no time. And uh, not just the village elders and uh, the men and women of the village, but even the children were out there in the lineup uh, getting rice uh, bags, big bags of rice off our helicopter for their village. And uh, those kind of things are uh, extremely rewarding. And uh, what I consider my favorites, I've also been deployed to Haiti uh, in a UN mission there and Bosnia a couple times for uh, the UN mission uh, there after their civil war. Yeah, those are great stories. And you told us a few, but if you have some other interesting stories from being a pilot, would you like to tell us about them? Oh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if we have enough time for all of them, but uh, certainly uh, we, I've done some, a lot of exciting things, uh, a lot of a lot of training opportunities. Uh, like I was saying earlier, um, we uh, were able to put a detachment out in Newfoundland and uh, uh, do a MARPAC training with uh, uh, the Maritime Forces, and it's a it's a big Atlantic uh, training exercise. And we got to play the opposing force and uh, try to sneak up on, uh, sneak up on maritime and Canadian troops. And uh, we were pretty effective at that. But it was a lot of fun flying over Grossmoor National Park at 15 feet. Um, you know, when I was in Bosnia, I got to uh, uh, fly to Split, which is on the Croatian coast, and land on a ship there. And uh, the Griffin is predominantly a army helicopter supporting army but in this case the uh the army commander that was getting a ride needed uh, to go to the ship so i was one of the first uh canadian army helicopter pilots to land on a active warship and uh and then uh really cool things you've probably heard of like the g20 uh and g8 summit that happened uh, back in uh, 2010 2011 uh, time frame um, supported that, uh, and we were able to move uh, world leaders from uh, their meeting place in Muskoka down to Toronto. And uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> we were wrapping things up when we got a call to have an evacuation plan ready for them. And I had uh, only a couple hours to uh, school up an evacuation plan for the G8 leaders uh, out of. Uh, out of their conference area in case the roads were closed. Um, that was pretty exciting. And again, uh, speaks to all the training that we do when the time comes and the chips are down, you're the only person that's gonna be able to get it done. And uh, of course the 2010 Olympics in uh, Vancouver were one of the biggest things that are uh, uh, aviation uh, in, in Canada has supported the military aviation. And, uh, and I was right there in Vancouver uh, uh, supporting all the security that was required uh, in the air over Vancouver and Whistler. Okay, so we've now reached our final question. This one's a bit of a personal one, but if you could fly any helicopter in the world, which one would you choose and why? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah, hard one to answer. Uh, I think if... Uh, 
just from a uh, interestingness point of view, I'd like to try that V22 Osprey. I think it's uh, pretty technologically advanced. Not that I've ever been in one, but uh, it would uh, certainly go fast and uh, getting there is half the fun, right? But uh, there are some really nice helicopters out there. Orange in Ontario flies the medical evacuation, medical choppers, and those are AW139s. They're really nice. And, uh, and then the Navy has just bought the cyclones that they're using uh, on the ships. And that's, a, I think, our first fly-by-wire helicopter. It might be one of the first fly-by-wires in the world. So uh, those would be pretty neat stuff. Uh, the Griffin is getting a midlife upgrade uh, starting this year, next year, I think this year. And uh, I'm excited to see the whole new cockpit that's coming in uh, that I'll get to play with for the next few years. Yeah, those definitely do sound like some interesting aircraft. Um, well, Captain Evans, it looks like we're just about at the end of our time here, but we'd really like to thank you for coming on to the show today. Yes, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Uh, really happy that you asked me to do this. And uh, anytime you need uh, somebody to talk, you can feel free. We'll set something up. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely keep you in mind then for the future. All right, and then just before we go, we'd like to have a quick word from our advertiser. This podcast is made possible by the 102 Squad Engineer Cadets. Right now, we are unable to do our normal fundraising due to the pandemic. Instead, we made a squadron cookbook. All three of us are members of the cookbook committee and have seen the months of hard work that have gone into it. It includes recipes from almost every cadet, officer, and member of staff. Books will be available for pre-order soon, so keep your eyes peeled. And that wraps up this week's episode of the Ave Geeks podcast. Thank you and see you next time. See you, everyone. Have a good one.